Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is the passionate and dedicated Sara Jamil. Sara is a women's advocate, spiritual activist, and the founder of Compassion First, a mother-daughter venture on a mission to create a better world, one empowered woman at a time. Woo, that gave me chills. <laughs> As a mom of three, Sara is committed to modeling for her children and others by disrupting stereotypical narratives and advocating for several initiatives near and dear to her heart. I'm thrilled to have her here today to share her story. Welcome, Sara. Thank you, Kim. You've coined a beautiful affirmation, a better world starts with me. Can you tell me how you came to that? Yes, of course, it's a long story, but it actually got sparked 24 years ago at the birth of my daughter, my second child at that time. And um, in the moment, I still remember it vividly, the moment I woke up from a C-section and my daughter was brought to me, her eyes looking into mine, it was as if her eyes brought the message of it's time that's the spark that it's time to make a change basically and I knew that in that moment and what that sparked was a series of courageous choices I had to make to just change the direction of my life and it was a a long journey I would say I'm still learning it but the moment where a better world starts with me actually came to me that was about seven or eight years ago in a moment that we'll talk a lot about, Uh, but it was a time in my life, in my family's life, that brought extreme challenges, like from all directions. And I could have broken down, um, but I discovered in that moment that if I don't do something to take care of myself, then everyone's life in the home is going to get affected. Yeah. And so that's where that, you know, the words just flowed into my awareness that a better world starts with me. It was just like, I couldn't explain it. It was just there. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with this? I can totally relate to the birth of a child and, and raising kids, how that changes you and makes you reflect on your place in the world, their place in the world, you know, what kind of legacy and big stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like what kind of legacy do you want to leave and how do you want to be a role model for these little people who are always watching, Mm -hmm. right? I think that's so beautiful that that came to you then. So tell me this pivotal moment that you mentioned in your life. Tell us a bit more about that and how it led you to the work you're doing today around compassion. Mm Mm-hmm. I did start talking about my daughter's birth, but it was many years later. That So we'll fast forward to 2013. It was the year I turned 40. And I, looking back, that was no coincidence. Yeah. Uh, as we tend to, to see is um, a lot of people have their awakening. And I had had my awakening that year close to my birthday which is in October. But the year started with my husband losing his business, us losing our house and us losing, I'll put, you know, quotation marks, uh, losing uh, my firstborn, uh, my son to his own challenges. Mm -hmm. 
So not physically, well, physically in the sense he left the home, but we had to come to terms with his choices, which were totally, you know, against the values of our home. But as a mother, I was shocked to see, oh, something not working here in my mothering. I started, you know, I went through the whole blaming myself and saying, okay, what went wrong here? And, you know, looking back and past choices of mine and Hmm, okay, did that impact who he is choosing to be right now? And uh, so I'll call it darkness was, uh, you know, uh, there was a dark cloud over our house for the first half of the year to the point where my husband was actually the one who said, Sarah, I can't have you break down. And he encouraged me to get into a personal development course that had helped him uh, prior to us getting married. And I did that. And he said, just be open. You will learn something, you know, learn some tools on how to handle this crisis that we're going through. And I, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll be open. And he said, you will be sharing in front of, you know, this many people. I'm like, I'm not going to be sharing. And he's like, no, no, you will just be open. And just prior to that, actually, I lost one of my very good friends. Within a week, she got sick. She had an aneurysm and um, she, she passed away and she was younger than she was my sister's age. They were very good friends. And that was kind of like, oh my gosh, what? Life can just uh, change in an instant like that. Like, even though we were going through whatever we were going through, it was like, okay, you got stuck in all that, right? In your own story, whatever's happening. And that was, I just made a promise. As soon as I, I found out was like, okay, that's it. I am not going to waste a single moment of my life not being grateful or not, you know, doing something. with whatever is going on but doing something and so the course was the first step and it was funny because uh, my husband dropped me off at the course and I went upstairs I'm like no no I'm not going to be sharing I'll just sit there in the crowd of 200 whatever people I chose to go and sit right in the front and um, I was the first person to raise my hand when when the facilitator asked so why are you here yeah and I stand up and I just start you know sharing this is what brought me here. And it was such a shift. And and I'm like inside saying to myself, what are you doing? You were ready. Yes, it was like something else was controlling me at that time, right? And I let it. That led from one thing to the other. And after the course, my husband and I would spend our Sunday mornings watching some inspirational, motivational speakers just to, you know, get us through the hard times. And one Sunday uh, morning, we were watching Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, and Karen Armstrong was on there. She's a religious uh, scholar from England, and she was talking about the Charter for Compassion. And I was sitting listening to what she was talking about and about the need for more compassion in our lives, in the world generally, and how that is a powerful force for change. And just sitting and listening to her, and, and it all just resonated with me, and that was like the answer almost to I was like oh this is it yeah I, I gotta find out more what is this about and so that was my journey into what compassion really is society deems compassion and other things around that to be a soft skill which I know is a pet peeve for you <laughs> as opposed to skills like you know, learning math or science or things like that. Those are sort of societally the valued skills, right? Mm -hmm. But I totally believe, and obviously you do as well, that compassion is a necessary thing. 
as a human being. So what do you want to see as far as, you know, teaching young people and, and adults as well, as far as that teaching goes, like, how do you see that becoming more of a valued skill in our society? I like you mentioned the, my pet peeve around how we have been conditioned to view uh, compassion. I'll add to it that is also viewed very much um, a religious thing associated with one certain religion or whatever. So there's been a hesitancy. So in my capacity of being an advocate for myself and my children, I've been involved in in my children's school. And at the time I discovered compassion as this force, I started introducing it through teachers. I got involved with school council, all all that, but I found a resistance to the word. And it surprised me because I didn't view it as such. I viewed it as a universal value, an important skill. Actually, the way I, I see it is critical for our survival now, especially. And so I was like, ah, how do I go about this? Because I was still new into putting into words, or mm-hmm. expressing really what it means, because I was learning it too, right? And I'll say the way I connected with the word compassion was actually how Karen Armstrong was explaining it, like the definition or how we can imagine what it means is she said, look into your own heart and discover what it is that gives you pain and then decide not to bring that pain on anyone else. And I have then included even myself. And so I paraphrased, it wasn't direct because I'm very bad at remembering (laughs) uh, uh, exact words, but this was the essence I got from it, right? Mm. I could feel it in my heart because at that time, my heart was in pain. I didn't know where my son was. I had no contact with him and I was in pain. But what happened was I got into volunteering big time. It became a release for me, a healing for me to help other people. It boosted my well-being hormone, the oxytocin. And the more I did, the better I felt. I still was grieving because I still didn't have contact to my son at that time. He was out somewhere and we would know a little bit. He would be in contact and then not again, right? I hold that sacred now. I do share it sometimes, but it's actually my sacred lessons in life, but in in compassion. I had to extend compassion to myself first. That's why I call my venture compassion first. It's twofold. I believe we as mothers especially need to be able to extend the compassion to ourselves because we become very hard on ourselves. But I also believe compassion is the skill We need to put that first. When we do that, whether it's corporate, government, school, home, whatever setting, if that is at the forefront of what we do, we're going to see a transformation like no other. We're seeing it will affect the bottom line. You just got to believe it. Believe the evidence that you're saying, I've learned to call it a heart skill. And I view it as the harder skill because what's the reason so many people don't really, you know, They don't know how to, or they don't want to maybe even prioritize. It's all about priorities. What are we prioritizing? Is this this is a life skill? This is a value? What do you think people are afraid of in terms of embracing compassion? Do you think it's a scary place to go because it's a vulnerable place? Mm -hmm. I do. I think it can be intimidating because you do get close to it. You do, you do have to go within first. Mm. So it's the same with personal development. It is a booming industry, right? We're seeing more and more people being seekers Yes, for greater fulfillment. So if I can go back to my my phrase, a better world starts with me, the way I explain it is the more I got to know myself, the more I dived 
inside and start working on who am I and who do I want to be? Yes. The choice, that word, we always have the choice, but is it an easy choice or is it a hard choice? This is a commitment. Compassionate action or being compassionate is a deep commitment that you make to yourself and to your fellow humans. It's your relationships, but it starts with your relationship with yourself. So what do you feel once you do go inward Mm. and embrace that compassion for yourself and then you're able to extend that to your family, your friends and other relationships, what do you feel can come from compassion? How can that change our lives and society as a whole? Through the lens of compassion, you get to truly connect with other human beings. You see yourself in them. You learn to see your commonalities. Mm. We are different, but you see it as a blessing because you get to learn. I'm so passionate about it and I'm aligned with people who are passionate about the meaning of compassion, but it's it's hard because people think it's something they don't have, but we all have it. It's just like other skills that we have or abilities and talents that we have, we haven't discovered yet. You may just not have discovered compassion yet because you didn't feel there was a need to. But if we really want to go to the root cause of many of the challenges we're experiencing, anything on the news, not in the news, Mm. uh, in our home, personal lives, if you view it through that lens of compassion, you will see things differently. There's a quote I really like that actually helped me a lot in my healing with my son is Dr. Wayne Dyer. When you change the way you look at things the things you look at change. Mm. And I've said it to myself several times because you really got to hear it. Yeah. So the listening, right? Listening to the other, listening to yourself, the deeper listening, the compassionate listening. That's what compassion will give you. The ability to pause, step back, respond to life instead of reacting to it. Like we're on all the time. Like It's like poof, things come from all sides and we forget we have choices. We have the power to choose. Mm -hmm. We forget we have the power. So that's why I like to use it as a tool. It's a skill that can be developed over time through practice. It's a habit. Tell me how you tapped into your compassion and how other people can do the same. It was through the personal development courses that I did, but my study of compassion and and I started applying some of the tools. I've done some courses on, you know, Um, There's a compassionate integrity training that I've done. You can do all those, but you can't let it stay in your head. You really have to let it flow into your body and embody it the learning and apply it into your life. And it took practice. It took time. It was hard, especially towards myself Mm. because I wanted to. We're conditioned to be our biggest critics, but I used it as a tool of empowerment as a human as a mother, as a woman, as a partner to my husband, like just by embracing it myself and being able to then hold space for my husband's whatever pains and and the growth we went through the transition together, being able to hold that space and hold the space for my kids, my son, rebuilding that relationship, my daughters, we were all impacted. So this was about addiction and other things. When that happens to one person, In the family, everyone gets affected, Mm. but how we respond to it. So that's all tied to compassion, in my opinion, is once you get to that place grounded in it, you can look life in in its face almost and say, bring it 
you're better equipped mm-hmm. to handle mm-hmm. those ups and downs. Yeah, because it doesn't mean it's not going to come. I know there's going to be even worse or even whatever challenges in life. And I'm fine with it now because I feel like within a couple of years, just everything being thrown at me is like, okay, you know, I, okay, I caught my breath and I'm fine. All is well. That phrase I've said so many times, but it, it all goes back to that compassion. So when people talk about it being a soft skill, and I see it um, mostly in, when it's corporate settings and professional settings, it's a soft skill. Let's start developing. I'm seeing it now more and more being mentioned. And it's like, oh, okay, now we think it's important, right? It's good. But what was the turning point Right to view people not just as machines with specialized knowledge, but as humans that are evolving and us needing life skills. And that goes from whatever we're teaching our kids at home by modeling and equipping them with. I do think there is an awareness happening. A shift is starting that old style of corporate Not only that, but the old style of coaching sports, the old style of teaching. There is this shift that I see slowly Mm -hmm. coming around Mm -hmm. where we are starting to value different things. And these, again, also just say soft skills because that's Mm -hmm. what people know them as. Although I know, don't don't get mad at me for saying No, no. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But like, you know, there is a value, a higher value that's being placed on those things. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. So tell me, because I know you and I have obviously, we share this passion and mission for women's advocacy, women's empowerment. Mm -hmm. But there is a piece to this that does involve men, obviously, because we want to partner with them. We are all human beings. We want to be equal. So I know that you've done some work with some compassionate and evolved men to try to come together and redefine feminism. So I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, the interesting piece of my my journey into compassion, and let's put it alongside the empowerment of women, of myself, and feminism, is when I say I disrupt stereotypical narratives, it could be about myself, it could be my background, it could be even how do we view feminism and whose lens are we viewing it from, which we've seen um, that conversation has been very um, current, right? We're, we're talking about intersectionality. We're talking about different ways of being. And it comes back to viewing ourselves as humans first. We forget that in our fight for something. And so I, along with the women that I work with through the Charter for Compassion, which I'm actively volunteering with, we're talking about what's the language that has been used to speak about women. And then we we came to the, oh, hang on a minute, also about men and patriarchy, misogyny, you know, all those things, sexism. We can use, there's so many words to use now, but it comes down to all of us being victims of a system that has been going on for too long, which is breaking down now. We want to break it down, but we don't just want to break it down. We want to create a new model. This is where I feel the angle, I and the other women and men within the compassion space, what we're doing is we're saying for far too long, whether you talk, you know, women's empowerment or you we want to talk about ending violence against women, we want to change the way we talk about it. So we're saying, let's create a new narrative of what we do want. What's our vision for this thriving society? How are we supposed to human well is what my um, dear 
co-facilitator of the women and girls sector of the charter, she asked this question, and I love it, is how do we human well? Mm. So the two men that I've had amazing conversations with, they're in Austin. It's Clay Boykin and Dennis Tarden. And before being involved with all this work, I would probably have hesitated to just like, okay, I'll talk to two men who I don't know, but they have done so much work on themselves. And that's the thing I, you know, I repeat myself, if you're a true seeker, what's the meaning of my life or life in general, you're going to find amazing souls who have done so much work. And that's that's really key. It's, they're already out there. We're already out there. Yeah. We just have to find each other. Yes. Right? And so if we focus only on the negative narrative of men and how men are and who they are, and we are keeping them, we meaning the conversation, we may have forgotten, hang on, we're all on the same journey here. And maybe there are men out there who are actually afraid of the way things are turning out, who don't want that narrative put on them. They don't want to be part of it. They're breaking free. It's like they're awakening too. Yes, we will always have the ones who are, you know, just being who they are. But if we focus our attention, again, the perspective, focus on the ones that want to do the work with us, we're going to achieve results faster than if we just are in that negative grind. Being angry all the time and projecting that anger towards a certain population or demographic or gender is actually destructive for our own being, I feel. It's like, use the anger. Anger is a natural emotion. Use it to get into compassionate action. doesn't mean you don't solve things. Being compassionate is a high degree of being an activist for something, to, to be a change agent. The place you come from is different than if you're just angry and aggressive and, you know, we're all frustrated. I don't need to give empowerment to anyone. I need to hold space for someone and say, I hear you, I see you, and here I can teach you something from what I teach you, meaning I can share my wisdom. This is what I learned. And if I could overcome my victim mindset, which I feel it was at the time, you know, even when I was young, I was married at a very young age, went through a divorce at a very young age. I made those choices. So taking responsibility for your life and then reaching out. You're not meant to do anything by yourself alone. You do your personal growth, but you do it in community. So I'm a big believer in, you know, sisterhood or or having your inner circle that's really strong and is there for you. So are there compassionate men out there? Yes, of course there are. Are there not compassionate women out there? Yes, there are. It comes back to what are the choices people are making? And it is the behavior. It's just like when we listen to parenting advice or, or read about the research or we don't say you're a bad person. We've learned to say your behavior and your choices were not so productive. Right. And can we apply that same lens here? The conversation from uh, when we talk uh, gender-based violence is I've volunteered with shelters. And I remember when I started at our our local women's shelter, the Yellow Break House, I remember I, I went in there because I wanted to see how I can contribute. I remember thinking, gosh, I wish for the day where we would have no need for shelters. And so it wasn't saying the shelter shouldn't be around. I wanted to think of something proactive. How can we prevent this? And I came back to, well, it must be the women empowering them. We need to know, like even as a mother, you have girls, I have girls, Yeah. but also teaching my son. It's not just about me teaching my girls how to be strong women or compassionate. It's also my son. It's like knowing, hey, there are some things that, you know, 
just are a no zero tolerance. Yeah. And this is the way I see you being. Compassion isn't a female thing. Yes, it is like a feminine quality that's innate in men and women. Like we both have masculine qualities and feminine qualities. It's recognizing those in ourselves, right? Um, I tie compassion a lot with uh, the motherly love, the motherly instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in my um, culture, it's called mamta comes from so it's an m word like mother right Mm -hmm. the mothering instinct is something that to understand compassion you can liken it to the instinct of you hear your baby cry and you immediately if you're you know breastfeeding your breast they like hello mama it's time what how did that happen right it's an instinct you hear and you obey kind of it's it's an instinct and and so compassion is an instinct and it's that love it's love in action and it's that love that we need to nurture and find in ourselves to address these whether it's gender-based violence or it's gone on for too long so what are we what are we not doing we've done a lot to achieve some you know help and support and safety network for women but the violence is continuing and i think what you said is a huge point to reiterate and that is and i've been having this conversation with my own daughters recently and it's brought up so much emotion for all of us because there's only so much we can do when we only teach girls to be careful to be safe. All the things, you know, don't walk home in the dark alone. Don't leave your drink at a party. I mean, my kids aren't there yet. They're, they're too young for parties, but mm-hmm. I'm sure they're not far off. But mm-hmm. anyway, all these things that we've always taught our daughters, like you said, teach the sons as well. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't educate them as well, then we are missing half of the the whole thing and nothing will change. I was saying to my husband when we found out, you know, about the um, Colorado, the mass shooting that happened there, I'm like, why is it men who resort to violence? There's huge expectations on what men should be or not be. I know killing isn't one of them, but somehow the outlet is aggressive. And so, but then should it just be confined to men? Does that mean no women? Like, you know, it's, it's a very sensitive point to bring in men into that conversation that, oh, men are also victims. Yes. So it's like, okay, let's step back. Let's step outside of the gender conversation. I'm happy I'm part of that work because it's growth. It's learning, right? We're saying, okay, hang on a second. If we step out of the different gender roles that there now are, and we start talking about, you said the word in the beginning, partnership, that's what's needed right now is partnership alliances between the people who want a different, a new narrative, a better narrative. It's like saying, okay, I see you. So the compassionate men we're seeing, men who are committed to better circumstances for their women in their lives, but for themselves too. Hey, I don't want to be seen as that guy. I know I heard from the men I spoke to. It's like, I'm not that. I don't want to be. I have a choice and I choose this. But we have this label put on us. So I love breaking down labels. I'm confused as to what labels to put on myself even, right? Which one do I want to be known by? Because that's what we do in society is... Oh, you're so-and-so and so so. Okay, I can put you in that box. I can put you in that box. Maybe we need to kind of tear down some of the boxes that we can and let's rebuild something that's going to work. It angers me. As women, we are supposed to do more to take care of ourselves or protect ourselves. And 
the emphasis isn't on the perpetrator, on the abuser. Yeah. It's like, you know, whatever campaigns and advertisements you'll see, it will be all poor women almost, right? Women escaping. Oh, let's help them here. Please donate towards this. And it's like the woman has to rebuild, blah, 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 whatever. The men, what are we doing to rehabilitate those men? That's also compassion. Yeah. Compassion is towards the abuser, just as well as the abused. Yeah. You protect the abused, bring them to safety, but we may have missed the mark here. What made him do this? Yes. Well, and I think there's that analogy where, you know, if someone's drowning in the river, you pull them out of the river, but you have to go up the river to figure out why they were drowning in the first place. Yes. So why are men most often the perpetrators of violence toward women, toward anyone? Anyone, yeah. Um, you know, murder seems to be, I've read this recently, murder is a man's problem. So like go up the river, why is that? And is that a thing with, I know it's so overused, but is that a toxic masculinity thing? Like, is that, you know, when we talk about gender roles that society has made for us, which are drive me bananas, is it that they are, there is this expectation that they need to be tough and aggressive and don't you dare cry, don't show emotion. And that has somehow morphed into this violent behavior. We really have to go back to patriarchy, the system of patriarchy is universal and it's been around for ages right it's yep. shaped everyone we've had to live within that structure and so that's universal you'll find them everywhere no matter what culture and i'm a believer of like let's look at the universal picture i don't like to put blame on specific demographic because it is a human issue yeah and a, a worldwide issue a couple of weeks ago, I read up on uh, the violence that's happening towards the Uyghur Muslim women in China, in China's concentration camps, which they don't want to recognize it as. They are being sterilized. They are being, uh, it's horrific what's happening to them. Who's doing it? It's the system doing this. There's them, there's women in other places. It breaks you to see that suffering is still going on. But because we don't hear about it, in the news, they're invisible. Yeah. But the atrocities are still happening. How are we enabling this? Like, don't we all have a part? And you, you said you're talking to your girls. And sometimes, you know, we get overwhelmed. That's the first thing, right? We want to do something, but we get so overwhelmed because there's so much that could be done. And so it comes back to the phrase again that I use as an affirmation or as a teaching tool is a better world starts with me. So if I want this to see this in the world, what am I doing day to day? How am I waking up? What am I choosing to do? What are my priorities? What are my habits? What are my beliefs? You know, all those, the personal choices that we're making and the growth that we're doing. How am I showing up for my husband? How am I showing up for my children? And then when I leave my home, how am I showing up for others? That is where we have power. That's where we have influence. Yeah. We are real influences daily. Yeah. And it's through our interactions, right? Who am I choosing to meet up with, to talk to and, and get to know? If anything, people watching the news, listening to the podcast here or any other podcast, there's an abundance of them now. And the red thread would be, well, what do we do about it? What yeah. can I do? right? You, you're left with that, that I want to contribute. We bring it back to ourselves. We'll go, nah, yeah, but no one will really know the impact of that. Well, believe me, the vibration will be felt around you. You could call it the ripples that you create. Uh, I like to call it the butterfly effect. Um, I've really 
embrace the growth of a butterfly in my own journey, but mobilizing that effect is, if you know about that theory, is you're the flutter you're the, by way of your daily actions. If they're positive, that's going to create a vibration that's just around the world. Someone will benefit from your choice. If you have that knowing, if our kids could have that knowing, whoa, they would really stand up straight, right? We yeah. would, because we would really be intentional about our choices. Yeah. That about was, our daily habits. That was so beautifully said because it can seem overwhelming at times. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say it again, because it's so important that people know that starting with themselves, their kids, their household, and then, you know, their community, once yeah. they step out of their house, they can have an impact by the choices they make on a daily basis by mm-hmm. having compassion for themselves and for others and just for allowing that to flow. So thank you for putting that so succinctly and beautifully. I would love to know if you could put your life lesson that you'd like to share in a couple sentences for women to inspire them, which you said so many beautifully inspirational things already, but if you could put your life lesson in a nutshell and share it, what would it be? My life lesson is a better world starts with me. Like the words I remember preparing for for our conversation and the words that come is courage, choice, compassion, curiosity, gratitude. It's grace. It's patience. It's knowing you hold the power to choose the circumstances of your life. And for someone going through hard things, I I did. And someone had told me, you have the responsibility. Whatever you're going through, you can change it. It starts with choice, but you have to go within. No matter what, whether it's philosophy, spirituality, whatever school of thought that you are inclined towards, you will find the first encouragement is go within, right? Mm -hmm. Start asking yourself questions. I had a a virtual tea for my friends and um, one of them in particular was like, I don't even know where to begin. I haven't tuned into my awakening. So it feels overwhelming. Well, you know, writing uh, down your thoughts, journaling, that was something I used a lot. Start just having a conversation with yourself. There's an abundance of uh, information available now, right? You, you go and find whoever you resonate with, whatever message you resonate with, whatever human you resonate with, go follow them, go initiate that contact, right? It needn't be difficult. It could be a friend you get inspired by. Yeah. And if there's any women listening who are right around the age of 40, be prepared to go within <laughs> because there is something, and I've said this before, there is something about the age of 40 and you oh, yeah. mentioned it earlier and I went through the very same thing that there is this time of self-reflection that happens, this awakening that you're invited to experience around that age and just embrace it and go with it because it is quite a beautiful journey. It is. So tell me what is next for you? What excites you about the future? Oh, um, my imagination excites me. (laughs) The vision I have of what I'd love to do is, um, I have this vision of having an educational retreat center for women and girls. It not just being a place you go for a retreat, you get some learning done, but I want to do like an all-around empowerment of women, a facility that can um, empower you financially as well. So creating jobs Mm -hmm. in it, like we grow our our own food and selling it, you know, being a social enterprise. That's what my next step is. It's about confidence. And I believe in this vision so much. I believe there's a need. 
And I believe my team is out there. I just am patiently waiting for the right people to come in so that this can become a reality. But what really excites me is it doesn't take much effort for the next generation. We say they are our future leaders, but I see in my daughters, they are the leaders today. Oh, and yes. and I tell them that I make a point of telling them that. So even though, you know, we're talking about wait till we turn 40, the awakening happening. My girls saw my awakening. They have seen my journey. They yeah. witnessed it. So they already are equipped much sooner than I was Yes. to, oh, these things can happen. Oh, okay. Well, here's one way of dealing with them. This is what my mom did. You ask my older daughter, who's an adult now, and I get the confirmation right away because she will say, you're my Oprah. Oh, my and, and when she said that to me, I was like, okay, did you take it easy. Did you fall on the ground? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I was like, don't, don't. But she said, she's the daughter when she was born that, you know, I, if someone inspired me, it was her, oh, right? I uh, so I find my inspiration in my daughters and the passion to continue yeah. this work is it doesn't have to be grand in the world's view. I have seen immense impact within the four walls of my home. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that excites me. It excites me that the girls and any girl, really, that's why I love mentoring girls as well. It's like I just need to show by example and, and involving them in projects where they can get to learn compassion differently. Yeah. That is so exciting to see is, you know what, they will know. I tell them knowing yourself is the biggest accomplishment, not just those degrees that we pursue right from outside. But the degree you can get, the PhD you can get. Yeah, in you. In you. Yeah. And having the confidence to put that real stuff out there for the world to see. Mm -hmm. Because the world needs exactly yeah. who they are. Yeah. Oh, wow. That Oprah thing is going to stay with me because that is like the highest compliment. I love it. So tell me, Sarah, are you ready for the final five? Oh. Yes, let's do it. Wonderful. So these are the same five questions I ask of every guest. And the first is, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Ah, that will be what my then nine-year-old asked me. She said, Mama, if you could have a superpower, what would that be? And I answered, healing hugs. Oh, yes. It's one of those, if you could take something away just by giving a hug, yeah. then, uh, but you know. The hug I give now is uh, just not a physical one. Yeah. I, I feel like I have that yeah. strength now. Well, to, soon so. I hope we can physically hug yeah. again. Uh, those outside our household anyway. Um, when you were a kid, what did you think you'd be when you grew up? You know, it's interesting. This question had me struggle. I was talking to my daughter and I'm like, I don't know. And I think uh, the answer came to me today. I wanted to be someone other than me. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I can't tell you, oh, I wanted to be an author or this and that. I found out later who I wanted to be. Mm. Well, I can say I love the person that's sitting across from me today. So <laughs> even though it took you a bit longer to figure it out, <laughs> I think this journey has led you to a beautiful place where you are making a huge impact in this world. So thank you. If it were your last day on earth, what would your final meal be? It would be an afternoon tea scones and nice little finger sandwiches and a delicious cup of tea that's what i would love to enjoy that's a first on what led her here an afternoon tea. <laughs> I, know. I love it i, I love, love it, it. <laughs> who is a woman in history or present day you admire i will say the everyday women and the women in my lineage 
my grandmother, great-grandmother, who I didn't get to... Actually, I got to meet my great-grandmother, but not my grandmother. I just realized, yeah, she had passed on, but my great-grandmother lived till she was 104. Oh, wow. So the strength that everyday women... They live their lives. I admire that. I admire my daughters and I could name, you know, famous people. But for me, it's really connecting with the people that are in front of me, almost like in my life. I get a lot of inspiration from them and I admire, I admire them. Oh, I love that. And last but not least, what is your favorite quote? The one that has um, guided me is the Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see in the world. I know it's used a lot, but I really feel I've embodied it. And so it's not just a cliche, but that one really resonates with me. Yeah. Like you said, it's the action, it's the choices that Mm -hmm. we make. And so I think that is the perfect quote and the perfect way to end this beautiful episode. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your beautiful story. Thank you, Kim, for having me.